You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. You know, I bet a lot of you have probably seen the Disney movie Monsters Incorporated. And if you have, you probably know the story of it. Their theme is we scare because we care. And that kind of sounds funny, but uh, you know, the, the town in which this factory, this uh, place is, they literally run on fear, on the screams of children. And the monsters go into the bedrooms at night, you know, and they scare the children. And then when they scream, the energy from that scream somehow gets collected and they take that and it powers the entire city. Sounds kind of neat, but uh, when you think about it, it's interesting that it runs on fear. Now, something happens in that film, and look, it's been out a while, so if this is a spoiler for you, I'm sorry. But in the movie, they um, uh, have this, what happens is, is the monsters go into one little girl's bedroom, and she's not afraid. And they think, this is terrible. What are we going to do? Because they've already been kind of going down, you know, the, the amount of fear that they've been collecting, the scream power is, is getting weaker and weaker, and they think they're going to have to shut down and figure out some other way in order to power their city. And when they've made kind of the decision, looks like it's over, one of them says, well, we had a lot of laughs. And the other one thinks about that for a second. We did have a lot of laughs. And gets a brainstorm and wonders, maybe laughter would be just as good a power as fear. So they try it out and it works and lo and behold, in fact, the laughter is even stronger. So at the end of the movie, the guy, he goes in, I think it's Sully is the one that goes in and uh, he acts like he's doing a stand-up routine in the little girl's bedroom and she just starts laughing. And it's a lot of fun. But you know, when you think about this, replacing fun, fear rather with fun, wouldn't that be great if all of us who had fear could somehow instantly replace it with fun? with laughter, happiness. You think about where your power comes from. And as I think about, you know, our, our government seems to think that fear and our politicians seem to think that fear and even a lot of preachers think that fear is the greatest motivator. But when you think about laughter and joy, it seems that maybe that's a better and stronger one. Bob Hope once said, laughter is an instant vacation. I like that. Laughter is an instant vacation, taking you away from whatever's going on in your life. Try to have as much laughter as possible in your life. But we struggle with that concept, especially as I said in our nation, where fear seems to be the motivating factor. Uh, everything uh, that comes out of fear is temporary and short-lived. And the problem is fear is not from the Lord. Fear is not from the Lord. I began thinking about that, this passage, uh, thinking about that concept, the idea of fear, and what would it take to, to really encourage people. And a passage that I've come back to many times is 2 Timothy 1.7. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn there. 2 Timothy 1.7. I can remember a time in ministry when I was experiencing some fear. I was literally worried about, you know, what was going to happen. I was fearful. And I just prayed and asked the Lord to give me some kind of hope or encouragement to get me through this. Give me the courage to continue on. And, uh, you know, this was many years ago. And, and 
he brought me to this verse. And I chose to memorize it. And it's always been a source of strength whenever I feel fear. I would suggest that maybe you ought to do the same. Look at 2 Timothy 1, 7 and memorize that verse so that whenever you feel afraid, whenever there's some fear in your life, that the Lord can maybe motivate you and give you strength and encouragement to get through it. But I want us to read and look at verses 6 and 7 because I think the two go hand in hand in encouraging us today. If you're afraid, this verse I think can help. I'm reading from the New King James Version uh, because I think in this case it's a better translation, but we'll talk about that in a minute. In verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. That's such a great passage. And what it tells us is fear doesn't come from the Lord. If you're afraid today, that didn't come from God. God did not make you afraid. God wants you to fear just one thing. What is it? What does God want us to fear? Him. Now that doesn't mean he wants us to run around scared all the time and worried and, and uh, making decisions always based on fear. What that means is he wants us to look to him and say, you know, he's a whole lot more powerful than I am and I ought to uh, arrange my life around trying to please and obey him. Because if I don't, I'll be in a world of hurt. By the way, God perfectly loves you and is going to take care of you. And he doesn't want you to fear anything else because all that does is weaken us. All that does is tear us down. And so if you have a feeling of fear, of being worried all the time about things that are happening in your life, remember this. Fear doesn't come from God. He did not inspire fear in any of us. God wants us to live a life of confidence. Confidence in him and in his love. I read this story about a, a woman, a family rather, that adop, adopted a little girl. And it was one of these Eastern European countries that they brought her to America from. And while she was in that uh, orphanage, she was essentially abused. She was not treated very well at all. And it was very sad to see and to hear about this because when they brought her to America, they gave her a wonderful room. They had filled it with beautiful little girl things and uh, decorated it nicely with little girl decorations. She had plenty of wonderful clothes and some toys and different things that they just believed that a little girl would really enjoy. And she was amazed that they would give all of this to her. And the mother and father said, we just have one expectation of you. We want you to keep it clean. And so she took that to heart. And the very next morning, she woke up very early, before anyone else in the household, and began to clean her room. And every day she did this. She would wipe it down. She'd figure out where all the cleaning supplies were. And when the mom and dad would get up and one or both of them would come in to see the little girl in her room, she'd be sitting on her desk in this spotless, perfectly uh, uh, cleaned room. And she'd look at them and she'd say, I cleaned my room. Will you still love me? Do you still want me to be here? 
Now, what a kind of sad way to live their, her life. And fortunately, she had loving new parents who said, yes, of course we love you. We want you to clean the room, but even if you mess it up, we're not going to kick you out. You're our daughter now. We love you. But because of the way she had lived her life in constant fear, it was so hard to get over it now that she didn't have to live that way. And I want you to know something. Because of God in your life, you don't have to live in fear. If you've put Jesus first in your life, you don't have to live in fear. You can live in confidence knowing that he wants to bring you a wonderful, loving, abundant life filled with joy, filled with service to him. Yes, sometimes difficulties, but he's going to bring you through all of that and give you a hope of heaven and a hope of a purpose here and now. God wants you to experience that joy. A lot of other faiths don't have that as the framework of their faith. I read, or I watched rather, a video. Uh, many years ago, our association had a partnership with the Metro New York Baptist Association. And you'll remember that. Our church sent our youth up to uh, Long Island. Well, they were sending us, material, sending us material to kind of promote the partnership. And one of them was a video uh, that highlighted some church planters in Manhattan. One of those church planters was a church planter who uh, tried to meet, uh, uh, reach the, the Muslim people of the community. And he had had a number of converts come and join his church and they were baptized and he trained them up and they became, became leaders. And what he talked about is he said these leaders told him that when the Muslim people live their life, they're in constant fear of will they do enough to make it into paradise with Allah? They're always afraid, have I done enough? If I died now, would I have done enough good? They have these systems of good and they have these, uh, the pillars of Islam that they have to follow and obey. They have to pray certain numbers of times a day. And he said this is one of the reasons that people are so willing to strap uh, you know, bombs to their chest and go into places and blow things up in the name of, of Islam. Because those teachers are teaching them, if you do that, you immediately get to go to heaven. It's a free ticket to heaven. And they believe that, and they think that's the way life is going to be lived. And so they're willing to do that. When in reality, all they have to know is that Jesus loves you, and as a result of that love, he gives you a guaranteed hope of heaven. If you put your trust and faith in him, you don't have to worry about your sin. Does that mean we should keep on sinning? Paul said, uh, may it never be that you believe that's a, a license to sin. Instead, it's a license to be thankful and serve the Lord and honor him in your life. But you should never be in fear of anyone other than God. And really, we shouldn't have to live in fear of God if we'll trust and obey him. And when you put your trust and your faith in him, he will give you that hope and fill you with that joy and that confidence. So if God doesn't give us this spirit of fear, where does it come from? I'm sure all of you could probably answer that question. But when you think about it, it comes from the fact that we don't have a trust in him. But if he hasn't given us fear, then what has he given us? If he takes the fear away, it's kind of like taking, you know, the air out of a, a cylinder. You know, it becomes a vacuum and something wants to fill in uh, that space. Well, what does God fill us with after removing the fear? Well, again, look there at verse 7. What does it say? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power. And what? 
love, and what? A sound mind. Power, love, a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. You see, I think the spirit that God puts in your heart and in your life will drum out all of that fear. All of that terror is removed by the spirit, the Holy Spirit that he puts inside you. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you now have love and you have power. You have a sound mind. Let's think about these three things for a second. The power that he talks about. When you're faithful to the calling of Christ in your life, after you become a believer, you have the power of creation in your life. Have you thought about that really? The power of creation. God just spoke the worlds into existence. The stars, he hung in the skies just by, by thinking it. And then he created all that was here on this earth just by, by speaking it into existence. And then he set foot out of heaven and formed people by his own hands, making us unique and different and special in all of creation. And it's because of that love, he says, now, I want you to go. And his first commission to the very first people was to be fruitful and multiply the earth. Why? Because God wanted people all over the earth in order to bring honor and glory to him and so that he could be in a relationship with us. The purpose of God's creation is that you and I can be in a friendship, a partnership, a relationship, a family with God. Do you have that kind of relationship? If you do, then you've got power. You know, I think about this in my context as a, a pastor. I'm very fortunate to have the calling of being a, a preacher, a pastor. And I think about all that God calls a pastor to do. You know, if I try to preach under my own power, it's not going to go very well. It's going to be pretty boring. Oh, I don't know. I might have the skill and the entertainment value in order to make people listen. But when it's all said and done, will there be lives changed? No, there won't. But if I do, if I wake up in the morning and I say, today I'm going to preach and Holy Spirit, will you speak through me? Then there can be power. It's the same thing in counseling with people. If I sit down and talk with somebody, if I try to come up with my own ideas, it's not going to help them in their marriage or in their family, in their job or whatever it is that they need advice on. And so what I do is I say, what does the Bible say? That's where the real power is. It comes from the Lord. And so I want to help somebody with the word of God. When you witness and you tell someone about Jesus Christ, if you don't do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, it comes back useless and without any real value. But when you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, it will never return without value. And when you try to disciple people, sitting together with a person one-on-one -on -one or with a small group of people and trying to share what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, all of that can be done in great power so that their lives can change and they can go and make disciples. You're not a disciple maker until you've made a disciple who's a disciple maker. And that's my hope and prayer. And for all of it, prayer and caregiving and everything that I try to do. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit can work in you. It's not just preachers that get this. It's not a special perk. You know, only preachers get the Holy Spirit. No, that doesn't work and you know that. Think about it. How does he work in your life? How does he work in your life? He can have a great impact on you and through you, with your friends, your family. When you go to work and people are, are frustrated and upset and worried about life and you can just offer them a little encouragement, maybe even pray with them right there at that moment. 
You know, that's a good idea. Someone says, hey, will you pray for me? Well, let's do it right now. Sometimes I don't think about it, but a lot of times I just say, well, let's just stop right now and pray with me. No, pray with, it, uh, with you about it. And when you do that, when you serve in the power of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you sometimes don't even know that the power is going out. You don't even realize what God's doing through you. I once had a Facebook friend contact me a number of years ago. <clears throat> he had been a youth in the youth group in northern Kentucky where I was the youth minister. It was in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. Highland Hills Baptist Church. His name was Rob Ruddick. Rob was a good guy, one of my youth. And uh, I had just been sort of getting into playing tennis. And I served that church. I was just their summer interim youth minister. I was only there for about 10 or 11 weeks that summer. And I just started getting into tennis, and he loved to play tennis. And so we'd get together, and he and a couple of the other kids, we'd go, and we'd go to the tennis courts at the park in town. And we'd play tennis, and then we'd go get something to eat, and we'd sit around and talk. And I'd try to, you know, share with them things. But most of the time, we were just having fun, cutting up. I wasn't a whole lot older than them, by the way. At the time, I was an 18-year-old youth minister, and these kids were 16. <laughs> and so, you know, it was almost more like we were just friends than I was their youth minister. But we hung out. And then a couple years later, he came to Georgetown College, where I was a student. And we didn't spend a lot of time each with each other at college. I was in the Lambda Chi Alpha fraternity, and he joined a, a different fraternity. And so, you know, that often kind of divided people. We'd see each other from time to time around campus, maybe even have a meal together on occasion. But I didn't spend a lot of time with him. 10, 11 weeks, one summer, and a few minutes a week at the most while in college for two years together. Seven years ago, our campus minister, we called him Doc, passed away. And he sent me a message. Rob sent me a message after Doc passed. And he said, you know, Doc's passing started making me think about all the people that God had used in my life. And I thought of you. And he said this, I want to, this is the great thing about Facebook. You can go back seven years ago and get a message that's on there. He said, thank you for the time, sacrifice, and witness you have given me. You were very important to me becoming who I am. And I've never shared that with you. Thank you, Kevin. Boy, I man, I was floating. You know, I'm walking on air for a little while after that. I, I was like, I told Barb, she knew Rob, and I was like, I didn't even think I made any impact on this kid. Uh, I mean, I barely knew him, it felt like. You know, for a little while in the summertime, we played tennis, but for whatever reason, however, God used me. Not because I'm so good at what I did. I really wasn't that great a youth minister, I, I don't think, but, but God used me, and his life was changed. And I bet if every person that you've ever touched with the power of God in your life sent you a message. You'd be reading messages for a long time if you knew it. One day in heaven, you'll be getting some messages. You know, we're going to be there for eternity, so maybe the first 100,000 years or so, people will just be hanging out talking about all the ways that they, we helped each other. Wouldn't that be wonderful to think about? For you, it might be some Sunday school teacher that blessed you, or maybe you have been their Sunday school teacher. Little kid coming up and you barely knew him. Maybe they got in trouble all the time and you were sort of annoyed by it, but you tried to love on them anyway. And then now they're older and they've got kids of their own and they're thinking about you. You know, I was in Sunday school when I was a little kid in her class or in his class. 
I need to get my kids in Sunday school. And so they do because of what you did and how the Holy Spirit worked through you. That's the power that he's talking about. Also, he talks about the love, the power of love. You never know how much you can impact a person by just showing them the love of Jesus. See, God loves us. And as I was thinking about this passage, it was Thursday morning. Remember Thursday? That was a wet, rainy day, wasn't it? We literally had a uh, flash flood warning or watch. I mean, it was water. And I was, in, uh, I was over at the association office. We meet together on Thursdays. And I sometimes go over early and work in their little pastor's lounge. And I was looking outside and seeing the water just flow, fall. I mean, there was tons of water falling from heaven. And it was getting pretty wet outside. And I started thinking about this idea of love like a river. You know, if I'm trying to love people with my strength and my power, that little river is going to start trickling next to nothingness. It's going to be awfully weak. It might even dry up sometimes. Have you ever felt that way? How dry I am. <laughs> Wasn't a song about, you know, drying out from liquor it means drying out from the Holy Spirit in your life. Because you're not relying on him for power and strength. And you're trying to care about people and love people. And that's when we get the most tired, when we try to do it under our own strength. But when the power of the Holy Spirit comes in you and the love of Christ fills you anew every single day as you pray to him and worship him in your own time and you gather with other believers on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. Yes, we are still meeting on Wednesday night. We'd love to see all of you there. When you do that, and guess what? The power of the Holy Spirit works through you. Maybe it's that song on the radio on your way to work as you listen to the Christian channel. It just, just kind of like recharges you because it talks about the love of Jesus. And then you start showing that. I want you to know it'll be like Thursday when the banks of the river will just start overflowing and people all around you will be sensing the love of Christ. I know a flood in real life isn't much fun, but a flood of the love of Jesus is fun for everyone around you. And God can use that in your life. And the third thing he says, besides the power and the love, which really kind of go hand in hand, is a sound mind. That's what the New King James says, a, a sound mind. When you think about this, what is this talking about? When it's saying that God is not your source of fear, instead he wants to give you a sound mind. Well, if you're afraid, you need a sound mind to combat that fear. You need a mind that's properly thinking and understanding what's going on in your life. If you're fixated on the fear, your mind is on that fear all the time, it's going to weaken you. It's going to debilitate you. It's going to make it harder for you to cope and get through you might find yourself in depression or in sadness. I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm talking about the kind that comes and goes. I'm talking about not a physical thing, which is what clinical depression is. I'm talking about just feeling bad because you're not tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you are, you look at things around you and it's like, you know, this is hard and I'm not enjoying this very much, but I see what's happening. God is working and somehow he's going to make it all work together for my good and for his glory. I think about this idea of sound mind. And uh, it, it's a, a term that's one of those words, there's a few in the Bible that are a little bit hard to put into English in just one word. I call these words word recipes. Because you've got to get a lot of different things in it to make it understandable. And when you find one of those, here's one of the ways you can figure this out. If you're studying the Bible, it's a good idea to study in a lot of different translations, especially if you don't know Greek. And while I have a 
very cursory understanding of Greek. It's not great. And so I use this trick all the time. You open up a Bible and you read your verse and you write down ideas and thoughts from it. And then you start just looking at other translations. You can do that by getting many translations. I've got a friend who showed a picture of his, all his different Bibles. He just moved into a new house and he put them on a shelf. And he had a shelf, five shelves high. And every single book, it was full. Every single book was a different translation of the Bible. Boy, we got a lot of translations, don't you? You don't need that many. Four or five to make this work. And as I looked at this verse and about four or five different translations... I found that the King James said it was a sound mind. That's the same as the New King James. I found that the ESV said it was self-control. The CSB, which I normally preach from, said sound judgment. The NIV said self-discipline. And the New American Standard, the NASB, said discipline. Now, those, all those words can have a little overlap, but they're not the same, are they? This is a word recipe. This is a word that's hard to put in one word in English. And so what do you do? You figure out what's all the different possible ideas. And as I look at it, you think about this and you say, you know, you kind of have to throw some things together here. For example, in a recipe, you know, you have a recipe of different ingredients and you put it all together. To understand what this word is talking about, you know, you might have a quarter cup of sobriety. Yeah, that would be good. Maybe you throw in a tablespoon of thoughtfulness and then you break off an egg of self-control or discipline in there and then uh, you'll mix it around with four ounces of godly wisdom and then after that you'll stir in some godly judgment and then you're going to bake it in a decade or two of experience and you get this term, this third word. And you say, well, what's all that talking about? Well, sound mind, self-control, sound judgment, self-discipline, discipline, throw in some wisdom and experience, and you get the idea of what this word's talking about. Now, that last thing I said was throw in a decade or two of experience. You might say, well, I don't have a decade or two of experience. I've only been following the Lord for a little while. Here's the good news. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. You see, even our wisdom and our sound mind, our, our self-discipline, our understanding of the world that helps us to live in a way that, that fear doesn't grip us, but we have the confidence to know that even though this experience in my life that I'm going through, this trial, is not fun and I don't want it to last much longer, but even if it does, I can get through it because God will give me the Understanding The mind of Christ in me will get me through it. And on the other end, I'll be able to say, I understand now. Now, the other end might be you walking into heaven, just to be honest with you. And that's a reason for fear. A lot of us don't like the idea of dying, and I don't either. I don't think we should all long for it and hope for it. Yeah, I'm going to die soon. Whoopee. No, God has given us a desire to live so that we can serve him. But understand this. That as you go through life, he'll bring you through life when you do it under his power, in his love, and with his wisdom. Amen. Now, one more thing before we conclude. When life kind of slaps you upside the head with crippling fear, just remember something. God didn't give that to you. That didn't come from him. 
He's never once inspired fear over things around you in anyone's life. God doesn't want you to be afraid like that. Instead, what he wants you to do is he wants you to carry around your Holy Spirit hero tool belt and pull out some love or some power or that recipe word, which is all those things of wisdom, sound mind, self-discipline. He wants you to pull those little tools out and use them to get through and tackle that fear. And he says through his Holy Spirit, he'll overcome it. But you know what? There's one more verse we haven't covered, and I'm going to cover it real quick. And that is verse 6. Look at what it says here. Because I think this might be the key to all of it. Verse 6 says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. See, Paul laid hands on young Timothy. What does that mean? It means that he, in a symbolic way, transferred his ministry upon Timothy. Here's the story that I believe is what's going on here. Paul's in a prison as he writes this letter to young Timothy. Young Timothy has been a pastor. And in 1 Timothy, Paul wrote to him and said, you're a young guy. Don't let them look down on you because you're young. Instead, you be an example to them. And here's how to do it. And he gave him all these ideas, some theology and some practical advice on how to be a, a young pastor. And I think in 2 Timothy, Paul is now thinking, you know, I'm getting old and I'm facing a date. He might have even had the date in mind when the Roman Empire would be putting him to death. And he's thinking someone needs to carry on the mantle of my ministry. And I think Timothy might be that guy. I'm going to write him a letter. And knowing what he has faced, the persecution, the beatings, the imprisonments, all of the stuff that he's gone through, one of the things he says is, Timothy, I don't want you to be afraid. And so he prefaces that with this. He says, remember your calling. Remember when I laid hands on you to anoint you with the, the calling of Christ in your life. I want you to remember that. And so that's what we can do. When fear is gripping you and you're concerned about your life, just remember the call of Jesus into a right relationship with him. Go back and remember that. I remember how my wife and I got together. You know, we started dating. And it was kind of a strange thing. You know, we didn't really know one another that well, but we hung out together one night and then we just kind of started dating. And I kissed her on the, the lips and she loved it. She was so happy I did that that night. I don't care what she says, that's the truth. As I was dropping her off at her dorm. And after that, we started dating. We had some on and off again times. You know, it wasn't always perfect. Sometimes I was stupid and I, you know, wanted to end the relationship. And then, you know, God got a hold of me and said, look at her, she's beautiful. You should stick with her. So I did. And I remember that. I remember the day we got married, as I stood at that altar waiting for her to come in and those doors, I think doors opened, I don't remember, seeing her dad come walking down the aisle and I started hyperventilating. <laughs> I can't even do it now. I started hyperventilating literally, literally. I mean, I was like, <gasps> and my best man kind of, you okay? <laughs> I said, yes, because she looks so beautiful. And I wasn't scared, I was excited, exhilarated. That was our wedding day. And as I look back on that day, I think, what a beautiful day that was. What a wonderful day. But you know, I love her a lot more than I, I did then. I do. 
And I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus like that. You don't understand all that he did for you. On that day, you didn't understand it all. When you got baptized, if you were like me, you were a kid. I was a 10-year-old boy when I first got saved. I didn't understand it all. But you know what? I don't understand it all today, but I, I understand it better now. And I know even how much better now that relationship is. And when you're facing those trials, those difficulties, all those struggles in your life, just look back. Remind yourself what he meant to you then and what joy you felt because of his salvation in your life. Remember those other times when maybe something other, uh, other things that he did for you. For me, I remember when I experienced the call to ministry. It was really just a few years later. I was a young teenager. And I knew God wanted me to go into the ministry. And I was all excited about it. To be honest, I had sort of a romantic idea of ministry. You know, that it was all going to be wonderful and no problems and everything would be great. But sometimes I've gone through some difficulties in my life, both in my personal walk with Christ, in my ministry, in my relationship with people and family. And as you go through those things, you, you can experience fear. That's actually pretty common. But God didn't give that to you. Don't feel guilty about it. Just turn away from it and turn towards him. Remember the call of Christ in your life. Remember that he wants to infuse you with power and love. And that recipe word of wisdom, sound mind, judgment, self-discipline, thoughtfulness, all that stuff. And he will bring you through. He will get you through. And then now, if that's you, recommit yourself to serve him. Say, Lord, I'm having a hard time right now, but show me something I can do to serve you. Give me some way. Bring some person into my life that I can share with them about your love. Put me in some situation where a person's uh, worse off maybe than I am, and I can let them be, uh, uh, I can be the, the shoulder to cry on for them. And I'll forget my problems and start thinking about how to help other, other people. And God will use you in a powerful way. And who knows? Maybe seven years from now or maybe in heaven, someone will say to you, you are a big part of why I am who I am. Thank you. First and foremost, we need to say that prayer to the Lord. listening to sermons at High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us. If you heard something that inspired you, challenged you, or encouraged you, please let me know. You can reach me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook at High Peak Church. Thanks for listening.